This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Amen. Hey, uh, for those who are newer to our church, my name is Andrew. Me and my uh, wife, Julia, are the youth pastors here at the Mill Plain campus. And uh, today is obviously GU Sunday, as you've heard and seen. Um, go on, all the kids that got baptized this morning from the youth ministry. Come on, how good did our GU band do this morning? Well, they did awesome. This morning, I have a word uh, on my heart uh, that just God just dropped in my heart for not only our church, but uh, specifically for this campus, some things he's doing in me. And so I'm gonna challenge you for the next 25, 30 minutes to begin to take some notes, write some, uh, some stuff down. Begin to say amen, be responsive. Don't just stare at me for the next 25 minutes. And this will go a lot better. Uh, come on, I, communication is a two-way street, not a one-way street. And so we're gonna communicate together this morning. And I really believe I have some thoughts and some things I wanna give this morning that have really challenged me. I believe they're gonna challenge you. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke. And here's the deal. If you are newer to church at all, maybe newer to this journey, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And maybe you're even battling with, I don't know what I believe about God yet, or I don't believe about church, that's okay. If you're in the land of I don't know yet, that's just fine, we're glad that you're here. And maybe you're even kinda, you know, suspicious about the Bible. I really believe as we spend some time in it this morning, that it's gonna encourage you and lift you up and, and set you on a course for today and this week. And we're gonna spend some time in the book of Luke this morning. This is 10 verses. And that will do us an amazing passage. Uh, there are kind of two accounts that uh, people believe that the first time that Jesus encountered Peter, this is the main one. There's another story uh, earlier in Matthew that Jesus kind of encountered uh, Peter in his mom's home where he healed Peter's mom from being sick. But this is a massive encounter for him and Peter. Uh, kind of the big one that starts Peter's life, that starts his journey with Jesus. And we're gonna pull some stuff out of it today that I really believe. Let's go to encourage us today. It says this, one day, Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some translations say the Lake of Genesaret, whatever translation you have. It says, great crowds pressed in upon him to listen to the word. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were now washing their nets. They had just got done fishing. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon or Peter, its owner, to push him out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now let's go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some more fish. Master, Simon said, we've worked all night long and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets once again. And this time, the nets were so full the boat began to tear, the fish began to overwhelm their boat, the nets began to tear, and they began to shout for help to their friends and their partners and the other boat to come over and help them. And soon both boats were now filled. Both boats were overwhelmed with fish and began to sink because they're so full. Then Simon Peter realized what had happened and he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was an awestruck by the number of fish that he had caught that day and as they were Others with them, they're all in shock of what just happened. His partners, James and John, uh, James and John the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Amazing ending here of the story. It says, Jesus replied to Simon and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. From now on. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down somewhere in a piece of paper, tie them up in front of you, your neighbor's face, I don't care. Write it down somewhere. 
but this morning we're gonna talk about the subject, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's pray and dive into God's word this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for today. I thank you for your, your word that is so powerful and so uh, evident in our life. God, I pray as we spend the next few moments in this word that you would illuminate it, that you would open it up to our eyes. God, put a deposit of your word in our spirit this morning. God, I pray that you'd give us something today that would change tomorrow, that would change Tuesday, that would change the rest of this week. God, give us something today that would change our life forever. God, we love you so much. Everybody set? Um, how many this morning, not to put you um, on edge or put you uh, on blast or anything, but how many this morning have a phobia? Well, just go on, be honest. You have a phobia. How many, it's like a life-threatening, like it, it, it's like a phobia that you will never go near, that you will never do, right? A phobia. My mom has a phobia of spiders. Anybody else? Go on, tell the truth, same the devil. Um, my mom, she's not scared of them. It's a phobia. Like, if I tell her there is a spider in her house, she does not care where it is, how big it is, she's leaving the house. Like, she'll go sit in the car. Like, she is deathly scared of spiders. Me personally, don't judge me, people. It's just who I am. I hate needles. They're from the devil. Okay? No lies. God is my witness. I got my first shot in 14 years when Cruz was born. And that would be the only shot I would get. Until Quinn is born, then I'll get another one. After that, I'm done. Needles are awful. I hate them. But I have a bunch of tattoos. It doesn't make sense, but I just hate needles, okay? I don't like them. Um, I got bored the other day, and so I went to Google and typed in phobias. And to my amazement, there are 100 certified doctor phobias that people have. 100. It's a lot of phobias, a hundred. Like doctor certified, you have a phobia. So I started looking through the list and some of them are amazing. I want some of them, <laughs> to be quite honest. One of them, the first phobia that I'm a candidate for, it's a real story, a phobia of work. <laughs> real life people, it's a phobia. So next time Daryl texts me for a meeting, I'm gonna tell him I have a new phobia. I'm working too hard. I will not be a part of that meeting. Real life phobia, we're all candidates for, amen? Just tell your boss, I have a phobia, can't work too hard, scared of it, right? It's the best phobia you ever come up with. Someone was really smart, the doctor, I have a phobia of work. Oh, let's write you a note for that. Um, the second group that I thought was great was there's a whole group of people that have a phobia of women. Real life people. There's people on this earth that have a phobia of women. No judgment if that's you today, but you need some prayer. Uh, another phobia that I just thought was great was a fear of buttons. They have a real phobia that something's gonna get caught on their buttons or they're gonna die. That's a real phobia. My two favorite phobias are this. Number one, there is a fear of everything. Who has that phobia? What are you scared of? Everything. Like every time you go to your doctor, I'm scared of everything. That's, that's my phobia, everything. But this is the best. Above all, this is the best. There is a fear of fear. A phobia. I'm too scared to get scared. When I think about being scared, I get scared. So I have a phobia of being scared because it overwhelms me when I'm scared. Who has that phobia? How is that real? I don't understand these phobias. One phobia that I just 
can't get. Cannot wrap my hand around. I, I, I just can't. Just can't do it. It's the fear of being touched. I don't understand it. My mother, God help her, is a toucher. She's a touchy-feely person. To this day, I'm almost 28 years old. I have a mortgage, a job, 1.5 kids and a wife, and she will still hold my hand in a mall. When I go shop with her, as God is my witness, she leans over and holds my hand. One time, I moved my hand and she cried, so I don't do that anymore. I let her hold my hand. No joke, she cried when I removed my hand. She's like, why? Why did you? So I, I hold her hand now to not have her cry in public. Not only that, when we drive in a car together, she'll put over and put her hand on my leg and like hold my hand when we drive together. And I'm always like, go find dad. Like, why? Why? Even to this day, when I leave her house, she points to her cheek every time I leave for a kiss. Every time. Mom, I saw you yesterday. Yeah, I know. Kiss me now. Like, it's just, she's a very touchy-feely person. Therefore, I'm a very touchy-feely person. I will hug. I will grab. I will sit next on. I don't care. I, don't, I have no personal space whatsoever. But some of my best friends hate being touched. Therefore, I touch them, hug them, sit next to them, close them as much as I can to get in their zone, to get in their comfort zone. It's to invade it, right? It's called invasion of privacy, right? People just don't get out of my bubble, okay? Well, Jesus flat out invades Peter's privacy in this story. I mean, out of nowhere, we, we open up with this story and Jesus is walking down the sea, on the water next to the sea, on the shore, and Peter, clean his mess, his boats are empty, and Jesus just walks into his boat. Not invited. Doesn't really know Peter that well. Maybe he met him once. Depends where you find the account. We don't know. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm in this guy's boat. Just walks over. And then he has the audacity to say, Peter, I need you to do something for me. If I was Peter, I'm like, why is this bearded, robed, Birkenstock guy in my boat telling me what to do? And Jesus just full on invades this guy's world. And I think four things happen in this story with Jesus and Peter that need to happen for you and I. And this morning, I'd like to pose it with four questions. Four questions I think God is asking Peter in this story. Four questions I believe that God is asking us today. Number one, I want you to write this down. The question I want to ask this morning to open this all up is, will you choose Jesus? Will you choose Jesus? What I mean by that is this. Jesus comes by Peter's boat. He steps in his world. Once again, Peter is a fisherman. That is his life. That is his world. So Jesus not only invades his boat, but quote, unquote, he invades Peter's life. He invades Peter's world. In other words, he's saying this, Peter, I'm choosing your boat today. Peter, I'm choosing you today. Now, Peter is now in a predicament. The Bible says, we opened up in verse two, that there are crowds following Jesus. It's not just Peter and Jesus in some backwoods lake thing. There's a massive crowd. There is a, a thronging of people chasing Jesus. And now Peter has a choice in front of the entire crowd. Will I choose Jesus? You know, because the reality is Jesus has chosen you. 
2,000 years ago, upon a tree, Jesus hung there and said, I choose you. I choose humanity. I have picked you. I have chosen you. And this morning, if you feel out of it or you feel like God doesn't love you, God has chosen you. God has picked you for a purpose and a plan. He's chosen you. But now it's on you if you're going to choose him. You see, throughout the entire Bible, old and new, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, has always been the initiator. We are only the responder. Well, God's initiated towards you. I'll, I'll word it this way. Jesus wants to be identified with you, but will you be identified with him? Jesus chooses Peter. Think about it. A rabbi chooses a fisherman. Fishermen are dirty. They are low. They are the, the kind of the, oh, like, you're a fisherman. Great job. Like, it's not a, a high calling. It's not a cool job to have. And a rabbi, a priest, a well-known man chooses somebody so far below his pay grade. You and I are fishermen. And the Son of God says, I choose the dirt. I choose people. I, I choose humanity. And now it's upon our decision to choose him. You know one of my biggest fears about being a pastor? is trying to find out who's dating and who's not. Just being real people. Every weekend, every Wednesday night, people come talk to me and I'm thinking, are they related or are they dating? Which one is it? And I have to play this game in my mind. And the bad part of it is, I'm usually wrong. So it's last weekend, right after church, this couple came up to me, I was like, hey, like, how are you guys? Like, blah, 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 like, how long have you been dating for? And I knew the minute I said it, I was wrong. And they looked at each other and go, that's my sister. Yeah, totally knew that. And then another, came up, another couple came up to me, so I switched. I was like, oh, you guys brother and sister? They're like, no, we're dating. I was like, I can't get it right. I'm just going to not even ask anymore. So now what I do, I go to Instagram. <laughs> or Facebook. I just go find them. I get their name, I go find them. But it's always funny, isn't it, when his or her page is covered with the other person. Right, you go to his page, and every seven minutes, he's posting about her. Right? I mean, the entire page is her, 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 her feet, her car, her, 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 her. I mean, like, everything is about her. And then I go to his page, and there's nothing about him. Nothing. He's not even on her page. I'm like, are they dating? Is he a stalker? Like, which one? Because she's all over his page, but he's not on hers. And then they start posting the, like, artistic pictures of like each other's feet. They don't want to identify with their face, but they'll identify with their feet. Or it's like their shadows, or it's like they're way off on a hill somewhere. Like, okay, jump, I'll take a picture. Like that is their identification with their other half, right? Well, sometimes I think that's our life with God. His page is filled with us, and our page has these abstract pictures. And people are like, are they a Christian? Are they not? Is that about business or the Bible? Is that about Jesus or is that about religion? Is that about Buddha or about Jesus? And there, we have all these abstract things about our pays and Jesus is saying, will you be identified with me? Because I've already chosen you. Long before you chose him, he's already chosen you. Long before you loved him, he loves you. First John chapter four says, this is love. That God first loved us. And then in response, we love him. You guys ever been in a game? that you cheered for the wrong team? I have. Uh, last Super Bowl. I'm a Seahawks fan. I am. 
but I love Peyton Manning. I just do. I have since the old Colts team with Marvin Harrison and all. I loved Peyton Manning. So I was torn this last Super Bowl. Do I go for the team that's near me or do I go for Peyton Manning? Well, the party I went to was a complete Seahawk party. Everyone and their mom was dressed up with Seahawk head to toe. And so my rebel side said, I'm going for the Broncos. Then God smited me and they got destroyed. But it was so awkward for me because I'm cheering for Peyton Manning as they're getting crushed. Go Peyton Manning, like go Broncos. Well, everybody else is choosing for the, you know, cheering for the Seahawks. I was like, I felt so awkward because I was embarrassed to choose for the team that I love, the person that I love. You see, sometimes I think that's our life with Christianity. We're embarrassed to cheer for the team that we're on. And we're in the world and we're like, I'm on team Jesus, but I don't want to say it too loud. You ever been with those really awkward Christians that talk too loud in coffee shops? <laughs> and this is some of you. You go to coffee, go to pizza afterward. Church was so good today. You're like, shh, there's people around you. Oh man, the spirit moved today. Shh. There's other humans around, right? There's those people that talk so loud. Why? Because they don't mind being identified with Jesus. If the world is so loud about their sin, we can be loud about our Savior. If the world can be loud about everything they do, then we need to be loud about Jesus. And he's asking this morning, Peter, I choose you. And now it's on us to go, Jesus, I choose you too. Jesus, I, I want to be identified with you, Jesus. Jesus, I want to choose you. Because the funny thing is, isn't that we identify people by the people they hang out with. Oh, are you friends with so-and-so? Never mind. Oh, you, you're friends with her? Oh, let's go deal. We identify people with who they hang out with. Think about the reputation Jesus has. Because of the people he hangs out with. Because of the people he chooses. Isn't it really funny that you and I are reciprocal beings? We only want to love people that love us back. Hey, if you don't, re if you don't reciprocate, it's over. Right, think about the dating relationship. Oh, we're dating. No, we're not. Yeah, no, we are. No, we're together. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. I don't care if you say it. We're together. Right? There's a reciprocal connection that people say, yes, we are together. It's not a one-sided thing. It's two people saying, yeah, we're together. The crazy thing about Jesus is he doesn't need you to reciprocate. He's already chosen you. He's already loved you. The crazy thing about the cross is he died for the world knowing the world wouldn't choose him. He died for people knowing they'll never choose me. But I'll choose them. And now it's this game of God has initiated and what is our response? Peter's now in this predicament of in front of all these people. Do I, do I want Jesus in my boat? Because you could have asked him to get out. Hey, you need to get out of my boat. This is, I don't know you. I don't want to be identified with you. But, but Peter chooses Jesus. So that's okay. And then this happens, number two, my question is this. Maybe you've chosen Jesus in here this morning. Maybe you haven't. But my second question is this. If you've chosen Jesus, how do you position him? The next line, Jesus is in the boat and Peter comes in and Jesus says this really interesting term. He says, push me out a little ways. They haven't gone to the deep yet. But Peter has to position Jesus a little from the shore because if Jesus was too close to the shore... Only the people closest to him could hear him. The people in the back never could. 
But if Peter positioned Jesus too far into the sea, then nobody could see him or hear him. In other words, Jesus is saying this, Peter, I want you to position me in your life in such a way where everybody can hear me. Peter, I want you to position me in your boat, in your life, in your job, in your marriage, in your ministry. I want you to position me in such a position that I have the maximum influence in your life. You see, this story, these are not Jesus's friends. This is a story about Peter's friends. That sea, Peter was there every day. That was his seat. That's where he fished. That was his boat. Everybody knew Peter. Everybody knew he was a fisherman. Everybody knew Peter, James, and John. Everybody knew those guys as fishermen, the sons of Zebedee. Everybody knew them. So Jesus is saying, I want to be positioned in your life to reach the people you're around every day. The people you're with every day, I want to be in a position. I want you to posture me in such a way I have maximum influence in your life. I'm going to ask you the question this morning, how do you position Jesus in your life? Maybe you're saying, well, Andrew, I'm not, I'm not really a vocal Christian. I'm not really a goer. I'm not, I mean, I've chosen Jesus in my heart and it's just for me. And Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, the last thing he says to his disciples says, I want you to go. I want you to go and tell. Well, I'm not really vocal. Jesus says to go and to tell. How are you going to tell if you never speak? How are you ever going to win if you never go? You see, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a right biblical perspective to say, well, I'm not that way. As followers of Jesus, we are goers. We are in the land of the uncomfortable. And the, the frustrating thing about Jesus is he will find out what your uncomfortable zone is. A man came up to me this morning and after the service and we were talking and he goes, man, Jesus is annoying. I was like, why? He goes, this guy got fired at my job, so I got promoted. I was like, it's great. Well, why is that annoying? He goes, no, you don't understand. My old job, I could be by myself. I had nobody to talk to. I didn't have to say a word to anyone. I just did my job. Now I got promoted to one of the commanders on my position. Now I have to talk to everybody. And Jesus knew I don't like talking to people. So he promoted me to a job that I have to talk to people. Jesus knows where your uncomfortable zone are. And he will push you and prod you to get a new job and to get a new position and to open your mouth and to preach and to whatever it might be because he needs you to position him in your life in such a way that everybody around can hear and see Jesus. How do you position Jesus with your job, with your marriage, with your work? Maybe you're asking me this morning, okay, what does that mean? How do I position Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Book of John, chapter 13. One verse that is so challenging. Book of John, chapter 13, says this. So now, this is Jesus, the very end of his life, telling his disciples, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. You, hear me, this is so, so challenging. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus, okay, I, I wanna be identified with you. How do I prove to the world that you're, that you're real? Be nice to people. Well, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a prayer. That's what I am, Jesus. I'm, I'm a worshiper. He doesn't say your worship will prove to the world that you're mine. Your 
quotations of the book of Leviticus will prove to the world that you're mine. Your understanding of the Levitical law. He says, no, your love for people will prove to the world that you're mine. And if you're wondering, how do I position God in my life? Love people. Treat people well. Speak of people right. You want to earn respect in your job? Talk about your boss well. Talk about your company well. Well, I don't really like my boss. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be respectable to your boss and talk well of your employees. That when you actually start relating and talking to people and treating people well, they'll actually ask you questions. Why do you do that? Well, I have Jesus. And you, you now have a window because of how you treat people. How do you position Jesus in your life? Because your heart response, you choosing Jesus, your heart response changes your eternity, but your life response changes their eternity. Well, isn't that enough, Andrew? I said yes to my heart. I love God. I love church. It's enough for you. But the thing about Christianity, it's not just about you anymore. It's now about others. It's about the world. It's about people. It's about the broken. It's about the lost. It's about to be abused. It's about, the, it's, it's about other people now. Christianity is not about you and I. If Christianity was all about you going to heaven only, the minute you made that prayer, you just go to heaven. But we're still here. So obviously, we still have a purpose on this earth. We still have a purpose that air is still in your lungs, that God is saying, I know you chose me, but now it's time for you to go find other people. How do you position Jesus? And then this story takes a crazy left turn. Jesus says, Peter, take me deeper. He says, let's go into the deep. Let's go into deep waters. And I feel this morning that God is saying to you and I, let's go deeper. Whatever stage that you're at, stage two, stage five, stage 10, I don't know, but I think every one of us, God is calling and saying, let, let, let's go deeper. Yeah. Right. Where we're at right now is not gonna suffice. It's not gonna work right now. We need to go deeper. And now Jesus has hijacked this guy's boat, preached from his boat, which side note, God wants to use your boat as a platform. God wants to use your job as a platform. See, Peter's boat was his job. It was his life. Every single one of you in this room are called to ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not called to preach or lead worship. That's not what I said. I didn't say you're called to preach or lead worship or play drums or be on a stage. Your job is your stage. Your coworkers are your microphone. That, that is your position. That is your boat. That is your job. And I love that Jesus takes this ordinary boat on this ordinary sea and turns it into a platform to preach Jesus, to preach the Bible, to reach people. God wants to use your life as a platform. He wants to use your job as a platform. He just needs to be welcomed. He just needs to be positioned in such a way. Then he says, let's, let's go deeper. And I love Peter's response. He says, Jesus, we've been out there all night. You, I, I, I could just feel the sarcasm in Peter's voice. Jesus, we already did that. You should know. We just fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And I love, he says, but at your word, We'll go. And then they go out to sea and they start fishing. And the Bible says their nets are so full, they begin to break and their boats begin to sink. And I just find it so funny and so ironic that the place they failed at the night before, they're successful at the next day. 
Nothing changed. It was the same boat. It was the same Peter. It was the same fish in the same sea, in the same location, the same earth. Nothing changed outside of one thing, Jesus. He's the only difference in this entire story that now Jesus is in his boat where he wasn't previously. And this is my third question for you this morning. Is it working? Is you being in control of your life, how is it working out for you? Is you being in control of your marriage, how is it working out? You being in full control of your kids, how is that working out? You being in full control of your job or your future, your finances, how is it working out? So I think so many of us are like, Peter, we're in full control and we're sinking quickly. Oh, we're, we're, this, is, this is my, think about Peter. He's a fisherman and a carpenter is saying, can I teach you how to fish? If I was Peter, I'm like, Jesus, come on. You're a carpenter, you're good with woods, and nails and doors and hinges. That's you, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. Come on, say it, Jesus, with me. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. Good job, Jesus. I, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. I just did this. I, I think just Jesus is saying, I know. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Jesus, I did this all night long. Jesus, I've done this for years. I know. How was last night? How's that working out for you, Peter? Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm good on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Jesus, you take Sunday. I'll take the rest. How's that working out? See, I think sometimes we want to say to God, stay in your lane, God. Your lane is Sunday. Your lane is worship. Your lane is, God, stay in your lane. I'll take care of my peace. God, that's your lane. No, no, it is all his lane. It is all his world. God does not want to be your Sunday God. He wants to be your every day, every life, every moment God. You see, God is not a part-time God. We cannot be part-time followers. He's not God on Sunday. He is God on Monday and God on Thursday and God on Friday and God on Monday morning. He is God all of the time. Therefore, we should be a follower and a follower all of the time. Jesus, stay in your lane. I'm a fisherman. Go, go hang out in the tabernacle. Go hang out in the synagogue, Jesus. See, Jesus does not just want to encounter you here. He wants to encounter you there. You see, I, I actually have a theological bent toward this is not church necessarily. This is a service. What you do Monday through Saturday night, that is being the church. This is coming to church. You see, the devil is not scared about you going to church. He's scared of you becoming the church. And when you be the church is on Monday morning at work and Thursday during staff meeting and Wednesday at lunch and Friday during the phone call and Monday during the conference call. That is being the church. But we can never be the church if this is the only place we let God reign. He doesn't want to just reign here. He wants to reign in your car and reign in your family and reign in your marriage. You see, I think so many people, Christian and non-Christian, we want to choose Jesus to get out of hell. Well, I don't know if I believe in hell or not, but just in case, I choose Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. He doesn't want to just save your life. He wants to lead your life. And I think so many of us this morning are saying, God, it's not working. Don't be so frustrated for Peter. The thing that he's best at, he's actually failing at. And I think some of you this morning that you have an anointing for something. You have a gift for something. You have an eye or a talent for something. And it's actually failing. You don't know why. I thought I was good at this. 
I went to business school. I went to nursing school. How am I? Because anything outside of the control of God, outside the Lordship of God, no matter how good you are, one day it will fail. One day it will not be enough. And Jesus saying, Peter, come on. Let me take over your life. You know, a few days ago, my son, who's uh, gonna be two here in a few weeks, uh, desperately needs Jesus. He's absolutely unsaved. Um, and he's, he, you know, he's a two-year-old, so he doesn't enjoy being told no. And the other day, we just moved him a few months ago into a big boy bed, into his own room, his big boy bed. The bad thing about the big boy bed is he can bring his toys into his bed and just not take naps. And so the other day, he wouldn't take a nap. And so I, I, after a while, he got quiet and I heard him talking to himself. So I start walking upstairs. He hears my feet. So I hear his feet run back to his bed. <laughs> so I start walking up and I open his door and then he's standing before his bed going like this. And he has poop all over his hands. And all, he's going, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. He just kept saying it, uh-oh. And God, that smell was from Hades. It was demonic. So he's still going, uh-oh. Uh-oh. And so when I get inside, his diaper and his pants are at his ankles, right? On the ground. And all of his diapers are right up. He tried to change himself. Because he didn't want to have a poopy diaper anymore. So he was trying to take his diaper off, get the poop out, <laughs> and change himself. And later that afternoon, I was just thinking about this message and about, I mean, this is like three or four days ago this happened. I was like, God, that's us, isn't it? That's us, isn't it? We try to change ourselves and we just get messy. We try to change our problems and they get worse. We try to adjust everything and it falls apart quicker. That God is saying, let me help you. You can't change that. You can't fix that. You are not God. Get off the throne. Get before the throne. Worship the throne. Don't try to sit on the throne. Let me do my job. But we're over here trying to fix ourselves and we're just getting messier and messier. Things are getting worse and worse and that marriage is getting worse and worse. And our kids are going farther and farther. Like, why is this happening? Because you're in control. I think God this morning stepping into our boat and saying, I'm a better captain than you. How's it working for those of you that are in control? You know, it's really funny. The term genasteret, Lake genasteret, the word genasteret in the Greek means fertile and full. Isn't it so funny that they were fishing in a fertile lake if they ended up being empty? Some of you might be in the right field, in the right job. You might be in a fertile, a full, lush place, but you are coming up empty because you're the one in control. Jesus is saying, how's it working, Peter? It's good. I think we need to be honest with ourselves and say, it's not going well. Jesus, you need to do something. And I, I just felt this so prophetically this morning. I, I just find it so ironic that they go fishing at night now or early in the morning. Early in the morning was actually the worst time to fish in the Bible time. Because early morning before Gaha is when all the, all the women would come get water and people would be playing in the water. And the water would be so chaotic that fish wouldn't bite because the water was so chaotic. So people would fish at night because it was calm. 
And Jesus says, in the worst time to fish, when nobody else should be fishing right now, when everybody else would fail, we're gonna win. When everybody else would not win, we're gonna be overflowing. And I think some of you in your job, your business, your field, when people are getting fired, you're gonna get promoted. When your business field, businesses are going under, your business is skyrocketing. Why? Because Jesus is in your boat. And there's a favor and a blessing and an anointing that you just keep going up when people are going that way. Even when other things are failing, you're winning. You're being successful. You're being flourished. Did we end here today? The last thing that happens, they start overflowing. So much so their boat is sinking, people. It's a lot of fish. And then, they, and then some translations say this, they call to other empty boats and say, come over, we need help. And this morning, I think the Holy Spirit is asking you, when was the last empty boat you brought to yourself and filled? When was the last time you looked at your life and said, I am so overwhelmed with goodness and favor and finances. I am so overflowing, I need to go find some other empty people to start pouring over into, pouring my favor, pouring money, pouring jobs, pouring whatever it might be. I, I, I have so much, I need to find some empty people. And then they were so overwhelmed, they brought an empty boat unto themselves and overwhelmed that boat, overfilled that boat. I just wanna ask you the question this morning, are you overflowing? Not with money, necessarily. Not with jobs, necessarily. Are you overflowing with Jesus in such a way? Overflowing with his goodness and his joy and his mercy. Overflowing in such a way you have to find people, I better give this to somebody, because I have too much. Are you empty this morning? Are you one of the empty boats? Like, whew, I got nothing to give. Are you empty? I'm not talking about maybe your business is flourishing, but your soul is empty. Maybe everything on the outside is going really well, but everything in here is empty. It's void. It's dry. It's, de it, it's empty. I think Jesus this morning is saying so loud, I've come to fill your life. I mean, John 10, 10, the most famous verse, come on, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Are you overflowing this morning? Maybe you're saying, no, I have chosen Jesus. I've positioned him right. That's great. It is now time to turn and go, God, where's the empty boats? God, where are the empty people? I need to start unpacking. I need to start unloading. God, you've given me too much. I need to find some empty people. I need to find somebody, because what doesn't make sense to me is we are so quick to trust God with our eternal state, we won't trust God with our dating relationship. Trust God with our job. Trust God with, we trust God with our eternal destiny as Christians. Yeah, we, no, job, no, mine, marriage. Mind. If we can trust God with our eternal state, we can trust God with our natural relationships, our natural job, our natural money, finance, whatever it might be. And God said, I want to overflow you. The same place they failed at, the same place they were being overwhelmed with, be overflowing with. Too much to handle. 
think Jesus this morning is saying, let's go deeper. Here's a few quotes this morning that I just, minister to my spirit, we're gonna end here. Abraham Lincoln says this, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction I had no other place to go. My own wisdom and that all that about me seemed insufficient for that day. Being driven to his knees, A.W. Tozer. The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking and still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and we're not interfering with God's work within us. Favorite quote, C.S. Lewis. It says, now we cannot discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying over and over again and yet failing. Unless we try whatever we say, there will always be at the back of our minds the idea that if we try harder next time, we will succeed in being completely good within ourselves. Thus, in one sense, the road back to God has now become a road of moral succession, of trying harder and harder. But in another sense, it is not trying that is ever going to bring you home. This phrase gets me. All this trying leads up to a vital moment that you must come to yourself and say, God, I cannot, so you must. All of this trying, all of this moral effort, all of this striving, all of this succeeding, we must one day come to the moment saying, God, I can't, so you must. I think just God's saying to our church, to us, to Mill Plain, to you, it's time to go deeper. We need to leave the shallow. We need to leave where we've always been. It's time to go deeper. Would you mind standing to your feet this morning? We're gonna pray. Please don't leave yet. I really feel that. Just pray for some people this morning as we close, but. First group I wanna pray for this morning. Once again, I'm not here to put you on the spot. I'm not here to uh, embarrass you. Honestly, we're here to stand with you, to pray with you, to love you, to hug you, to encourage you. If you're here this morning, I don't care who you are, what age you are, what you've gone through, what you've done, how good or how bad you're doing right now. But if you'd be so bold and so honest today to say this number one thing, I'm empty. I have nothing. I mean, my business is going well. I think my marriage is going well. My kids aren't doing too bad, but, but you know there's a empty thing in your soul. You know you're, you're empty and you'd feel that Peter-like failure this morning. Like I've tried all night. I've toiled. I have attempted. I have burnt myself out. I have done everything I know how to do and yet I'm still empty. If that's you this morning, in a moment, I'm gonna have you raise your hand. Once we raise our hand, I'm gonna have you come down up front. We're gonna pray for you. Like, I know that's so wow in front of people. And what does that mean? Once it, we, we don't wanna like point fingers. We wanna hug. We wanna pray. We wanna stay in the gap with you. We are, because the thing is, we were all empty at one point. If you're empty today, we were there last week. We were there six months ago. We've all been empty at one point. This is not some, some rare situation. We, humanity is empty. 
When you look around at the world that's going on, we are empty, we are losing, we are lacking something. This morning, if that's you, say, you know what, Andrew? I'm empty. It could be 12, it could be 30, it could be 70, I don't know. But you know, I'm empty in the core. I'm empty in my soul today. And like Peter, I want to be filled with Jesus. If that's you today, would you just shoot your hand up across this place? I'm not trying to point you out anything. Say, anyway, I'm, I'm empty across this place. Just shoot a hand up. Just shoot a hand up so I can see. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, anybody else, just shoot it up real quick. Come on, you know that your heart is beating, that you know this is for you. Come on, don't wait till next weekend, but you know. I mean, I'm, I'm empty. Awesome. The second group I wanna pray for this morning. You know that you're full, you love Jesus, but it's time, you feel in your spirit, it's time to find another empty boat. It's time to serve, it's time to lead. It's time to go out of your way and find people and reach out in your job. Like you know, you feel a tugging and a pulling of the Holy Spirit, it's time to step out. It's time to go deeper with your walk with Jesus and you know, I, I love Jesus, I love church, but I've never gone public with my faith. I've never gone and found people that are empty, that are not doing well. I wanna, I wanna go out of myself. I want to step out of my comfort zone. If that's you this morning, say, it's time for me to find some other boats to bring to myself. If that's you this morning, would you mind just putting your hand up today, saying it's, it's time. I've been in church for a while, but man, it's time. It's time for me to go find some other empty people and empty boats and empty marriages and empty businesses and empty people. Man, it's time. I've been around long enough. It's time. Jesus blessed me so much. I need to find somebody. Also, I'm gonna pray just corporately that we're gonna sing this song and then we'll be dismissed right for that. But if you raise your hand for one of the two, or even if you didn't, you know you should. You can just put your hand in your heart. You can grab a hand in your, uh, you know, your spouse or whatever you wanna do, however you wanna respond this morning. But let's pray. Father, I thank you today. God, I pray for every single marriage, every single business, every single home right now. God, every person that feels empty, that feels void. God, I pray right now for an infilling of your spirit, an infilling of joy, an infilling of life and a feeling of you today. Jesus, right now, God, I pray for those empty hearts and empty souls and empty lives. God, come and fill today. Let our boats, let our lives, let our personhood, let our souls be overflowing with you. God, I pray for those that are overflowing. God, I pray for it overflowing unto others. God, let our eyes be open. Let our spirits be open to those around us, those near us, our coworkers, our, our spouses, our marriages, our, our neighbors, whatever it might be. God, let us look beyond ourselves and above ourselves and around ourselves. We say, oh God, who can I give? Who can I bless? Who can I lift up? God, open our eyes unto the broken. Open our eyes unto the people around us. God, we want to go deeper. God, we want to go further. We want to go bigger, God. We love you so much. Come on, let's just sing a song together. Come on, wake my spirit. As we end today, come on, sing this out together.